0: You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Ben Sims is the other half of Plants Grow Here and in episode three of this podcast, he came on to speak about native landscaping. In this episode... We wanted to talk about maintaining existing gardens, and our aim is to give you a bit of basic knowledge and direction so you can avoid some of the biggest mistakes we see out there on domestic properties.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. Good to be back.
0: Yeah. So, how important is it to keep maintenance in
1: mind when we're designing our gardens? Yeah, really important. Yeah. You want a well designed garden that, you know, has A level of maintenance that you can keep up with otherwise yeah if it's not well maintained it's going to look pretty ordinary pretty quick
0: when we're talking about that we're thinking in advance about how we're going to be taking care of the garden so these are things like gates and walkways what sort of mower needs to go through can we fit a ride-on through if it's
1: an acreage absolutely or any other sort of thing you need to get through like a wheelbarrow or something like that yeah you want to consider all things like that how much mowing you're prepared to do you don't want to have like Hundreds and hundreds of square metres of lawn if you hate mowing and you're not going to do it and you're not going to pay someone to do it. Also, the same goes for hedging. You don't want to have a huge amount of hedging to maintain regularly if you don't want to do it or don't want to pay someone to do it. So, yeah, it's really important. And make sure you've got time to get out there and check the retic, especially when it gets really hot. Right plant, right place. So don't put a uke right next to the house and silly things like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, asking for trouble if you're going to plant a giant eucalypt even if it's just a baby when you plant it, one day that thing is going to be a giant and it's going to drop limbs on your house every time a storm comes through. Absolutely. I remember once I had a property that we used to do and they planted a palm tree there. And obviously that palm tree was going to get bigger and it started blocking off. um, They'd planted it right next to the footpath and it was sort of blocking off the footpath. So what they'd asked us to do was to hedge this palm tree And um, we sort of said, no, this is a silly thing to do. And they said, just hedge it. (laughs) You can sort of imagine how that looks. So we've got these dead palm fronds down the bottom sort of dying. And we've got this weird little growth bit at the top. It wasn't a pretty thing at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, silly, but yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) So how can we have the perfect hedge then?
1: Uh, Yeah, so you want to hedge light and often. You want to have a decent quality machine, um, a double-sided Hedge it cuts much much nicer and neater, and yeah, uh, and make sure that the machine is sharp, the blades are sharp, so when you you do a nice sharp cut when you do it, and yeah, don't leave it to cut it just uh, twice a year, which I've seen before, and you're taking a huge amount off at a time, and it's a really rough cut. It's never going to look good. So yeah, make sure you do it regularly, every two to four weeks during the growing season.
0: That's great advice, and you know, well maintained machinery as well is going to help along with that. So. That's sharp blades, well-oiled, put a bit of lanolin spray on your blades.
1: Yeah, if you can afford it. At about <laughs> 20 bucks, I, um, I think it goes up goes pretty quick. But, yeah, no, it's good. Very, very good stuff. It's what the produce is. So, yeah, no, mm. it's the best. Yeah, and
0: if you're doing a lot of hedging and you're spraying it every time, like I do, it, uh, yeah,
1: you go through a can pretty quickly. You do, but it, it is the best. So, yeah, mm. worth the money if you're serious.
0: And I've heard that lanolin spray is better than other brands because other products can actually burn the leaves whereas a lanolin spray is based on a sheep fat so it it doesn't actually burn the leaves in quite the same way that other lubricating sprays can
1: yeah yeah i've heard the same yeah it makes sense
0: so what are some other tips for keeping our plants looking healthy um
1: pruning is really important so yeah it's a bit similar to the hedging um but obviously you don't have to prune that often in that amount but yeah just Less pruning and more often. Uh, try not to prune more than a third of the time if you can, but there are some plants that are happy even if you hack them nearly to the ground. Yeah, most things, yeah, prune like, yeah, more often and like tip pruning just regularly. Keeps it nice, bushy and healthy looking. And prune for maintaining size and shape to encourage flowering and fruiting and also to reduce pests and diseases. So getting rid of dead wood and stuff like that so you don't know, build up fungus and borers and other things that like the dead wood. So getting rid of that is... A good way to keep your plants healthy and also regular fertilizing over here monthly wetting agents if it's really hot which it does get every summer so yeah helps the water and the nutrients get to the root zone and good soil prep too to begin with will help hold the water and nutrients and everything around the root zone for a lot longer and not just like let it into the groundwater like a sieve which sand will do so yeah
0: And just to touch on pruning again, there's a lot of theory behind pruning. So, different
1: types of cuts
0: are going to promote different types of growth. Mm. My pruning guru is Cass Turnbull from Plant Amnesty, and she's passed on now, but she's provided some really beautiful resources for people like me to learn how to prune properly. And there are three different types of cuts that she explains, and you can take that theory into a lot of different places uh, on basically all types of plants. I will leave a link in the show notes for our listeners to follow and watch our YouTube videos because they're a fantastic resource that I definitely recommend you guys listen to. The plant amnesty motto is working to end the senseless torture and mutilation of trees and shrubs through male pruning. And I think that that's a great little uh, message to be sending out. So definitely check that one out, guys.
1: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, a simple pruning technique that works well on a lot of is like vase pruning where you open up the inside to let light and air through um yeah so just learning some of the basic pruning techniques is a really good start for sure we're gonna to have to do quite a number of episodes on pruning yeah we'll go into it in a lot more detail
0: i mean whether that's amenity pruning whether that's fruit tree pruning there's all different ways of pruning absolutely can you tell us a little bit more about maintaining soil and what sort of checks we need to be doing
1: yeah so soil you want to make sure that's you know over here not hydrophobic which is where it becomes water repellent, and um, the water just sits on the top and then evaporates. So you can overcome that with wetting agents, or if in the beginning you use some good products like soil solver to help hold the water and nutrients in the soil. Um, make sure that the soil is not too compact on the lawns, and that can be overcome by coring, aeration, and also test the pH because if the pH, especially on the coast here, gets very, very alkaline, then you're going to lock out nutrients and Your poor old lemon tree and stuff like that's not going to be too happy because it'll be starving of certain things. So there are a few simple checks.
0: Yeah, um, the pH test that I like is the Manutech one. It's the same one that Dr. Sam recommends in Episode 2. Yep. It's developed by the CSIRO, so you know it's good. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about mowing. What are your tips when it comes to maintaining your
1: lawn? Um, Yeah, a bit like hedging. Yeah, you want to mow light and regular. Um and also that golden one third rule sort of applies where you want don't wanna take off too much at one time. And yeah, don't leave mowing at least over here with the warm season grasses. I'll be mowing fortnightly at the longest. Weekly's better and um people who are really serious might even mow multiple times in a week, but yeah, I couldn't yeah. keep that up. But yeah, um <laughs> yeah, so yeah, just often and um and at the right height as well.
0: That height's going to depend on the grass. We've done a bit of a series earlier on with uh, Eric Beezer. Definitely recommend people check out that three-part series on whipping, mowing and blowing. Absolutely. So when it comes to mowing the lawn as well, you might find that as you're walking over the lawn, there's a bit of a spongy
1: effect underneath your feet. This is called thatching. Can you explain what thatching means, Ben? Uh, Yeah, thatching is just a natural dead layer that builds up as the grass grows. Some grasses build it up a lot quicker like cooch and kikuya and it can become a real problem because it can stop 70% of water and nutrients reaching the root zone. Other lawns like buffalo don't tend to build it up hardly at all. So yeah, to overcome that, uh, the best thing is getting a professional in with a verti mower and they'll cut it back to the brown, which is like ground level and and get rid of that thatch layer and it also prevents um, pests and diseases building up in that thatch layer and it renovates your lawn and rejuvenates it so it'll come back really nice and healthy after that.
0: And what time of year would you recommend uh, shaving off that grass?
1: Um, The best times early in the growing season but it can be done any time in the growing season provided you get enough water on it after it's done. It might be the wrong time to do it at the end of the growing season because that
0: grass may not make it through that stress yeah, over the off season.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then weeds can get in and stuff like that. So, yeah, you want to do it September to December is ideal over over here anyway in, in WA.
0: Yeah, so that thatch is just a dead layer, as you say. I think of the lawn as being a kind of a grass hedge. So, I guess the thatch would be like the dead wood in your hedge and as you're sort of mulch mowing it and you're throwing all that um, sort of the, the debris down on top of that thatch layer, because that layer of dead material hasn't broken down yet, the soil biology isn't breaking down that material and dragging it down into the soil. So that's just going to keep building up higher and higher and higher. And you're going to have less leaf, less grass leaves as compared to, yeah, you know, dead stems and stuff like that. Mm, Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's not what you want.
0: So what do we do if our soil has compaction?
1: Uh, Yeah, so you can uh, run a lawn core over it and that'll aerate it and um, break up that compaction. And that can be done every few months throughout the growing season. That's really good to do it straight after, like at the beginning of the growing season, and and during, and and at the end. But yeah, it depends. I mean, you can really do that quite often if you want, every month or two if you really want. But yeah, at least I'd recommend probably twice during the growing season. But if you don't have a specialized machine, it can. It's very very labor intensive. I've got a little manual corer <laughs> and. The legs are hurting after an hour of that, I can tell you, and I don't really get through more than, say, 50 squares. So, <laughs> yeah, for anything large, you really want to hire a machine and maybe um, share that machine with your neighbours to split the cost up. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's a great point because they're not cheap. And you know, I know no, in Melbourne, I don't think it's a really big thing that people do, even though we get a lot of compacted clay soils there.
1: Mm, they should be doing it more there than mm. over here even. But uh, we're over here, people are very... Um, Proud of their lawns, and yeah, we'll do anything to <laughs> make sure they look good throughout the whole whole growing season, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're in Melbourne, maybe it might be good to do a bit of market research as to whether it, it's worth it, because I'm not sure if people, if consumers are there or if they're not. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, um, yeah. Well, the heavier soils, I think you'd need to do it more, but mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Even just gypsum helps with clay soils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that compaction is generally thought of as more of a heavy clay soil problem but can you tell us a little bit about how lighter sandy soils can also be compacted
1: yeah in a similar way yeah but yeah just from people walking over an area a lot over a small area a lot from heavy mowers or machines or vehicles driving over say a lawn in particular um, or even like uh, a lot of water so wetting that area all the time that also water will definitely compact sand as well so yeah, the the ways that the sandy soils do get compacted and yeah. Using the um the cora that, that can break that up and yeah, get it back to what you want, get some air and life back in the soil.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the soil biology is supposed to be doing that and sometimes we um Yeah, we can damage that soil biology, so the worse it gets, the worse it gets. The worse it
1: gets. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And then you've got a real issue on until you do something. <laughs> So on this podcast, we like to
0: talk a lot about how the biology and the ecology is so important, not only to the overall environment, but also to the health of our plants. Can you tell us a little bit about why we shouldn't just reach for the chemical first when it comes to controlling
1: pests and diseases? Yeah, well, quite often it's a sign that the the plant's not happy in that microclimate. So there's definitely a better plant that would be happier in that place. So it's a matter of finding a plant that you like that will like suit your environment. Like you might might be growing in too much sun or too much shade, or it's a plant from a country with conditions much different to your garden and where where you're trying to grow it. So yeah, definitely, um, right plant, right place. Get the soil right, get the retic right, and yeah, you won't have that issue. So yeah, that's not something I in my own garden don't use chemicals at all. Really, um, I'm considering killing a few ants at the moment, but that's about it in the lawn. But, yeah, in general, yeah, it's a last resort. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to do a whole episode on integrated
0: pest management, which is sort of a philosophy about prioritising control methods for pests. And, um, yeah, plant right plant, right place is definitely the right place to start um, mm. because those pests and diseases actually exist for a reason. Mm. In nature, they destroy the wrong plants so that the right ones can grow there. Mm. So when is it a good time to declare nuclear warfare on our pests and diseases?
1: <laughs> when you've exhausted all the other avenues. So, you know, you've it, water water's not an issue. You know it's getting enough water, you know it's holding on to the water, you know your soil's not hydrophobic. You know yeah. it's getting adequate nutrition. you know it's going it's getting adequate light. And and then you can see that there's something there, like, you know, ants will leave, you know, little mounds or, you know, you might see the fungus on there or you might see catch the pest there so and there's a lot of them so yeah when you when you know it's the issue and it's the last resort and it's a prize plant then yeah then i would but if you got to do it year after year after year you ask the question you know could i plant something more suitable there that doesn't require such a high level of maintenance because yeah as you touched on it's generally because the plant's not happy in that spot or in that climate
0: yeah, yeah. I'd like to touch on ants a little bit more too because ants aren't always a pest, are they? No,
1: no. But over here, they, um, they can be, uh, they're definitely in abundance.
0: So what are some of the negative effects of ants in the sandy soils around Perth?
1: Yeah, well, sandy soils dry out as it is. And when the ants get in there and tunnel, they create even more dry t- conditions, particularly under the roots of like lawn, shrub, trees. And they can dry out so much that the plant just can't get access to the water at once. So, yeah, um, they can really kill a plant pretty quickly once they get in there in, in high numbers um, in the soil, that is. So, yeah, over here that is that is a common issue and, and in some cases, yeah, you need to uh, treat it if you've only got, say, a small area of lawn and it's infested with ants, well, you know, you don't want it looking ratty because of that. Mm. So, If you had a dead patch
0: on your lawn in Perth, what would you first sort of assume that the problem
1: would be water so yeah um either the soil's got hydrophobic or the retic coverage isn't there or you're not putting enough water on in the first place yeah so that's the thing i'd check and but i'd also look for, especially as it gets hotter i definitely look for ants and and stuff like that because yeah they are a problem but water's the thing you start with over here in wi anyway
0: and are there any other sort of pests or diseases that you might
1: consider other than water issues or ants um yeah we get stuff like cutworm and stuff like that and um, everyone talks about lawn beetle and that but they have to be in huge numbers to really do any damage yeah different plants get different pests and diseases as do lawn so yeah there's a whole range it's a really um complex sort of technical area and um it's not something i focus on a lot and yeah, there's different pests and diseases. Citrus get leaf minor and stuff like that. But there it it's really, really complex area, um mm-hmm. pests and diseases. And I really think this the easiest way is just to get the right plant in the right place. Yeah. Um, with the right soil and the right rate. Yeah. Just use nature to
0: your advantage. Yeah. What are your thoughts when it comes to
1: fertilizing plants? Um, yeah, fertilizing is is good to keep a plant healthy. Um but there's definitely Certain plants, natives don't need a lot of fertiliser, especially once they're mature. They will like a little bit, but yeah, um, they're not going to require a heap like say like your edibles, your vegetables and all that sort of stuff or your roses. So yeah, fertiliser is necessary, but yeah, you can definitely choose plants that require less. And if you're like near rivers and streams and that, you definitely want to have a very low fertiliser garden. So yeah, you don't want to have a huge amount of lawn and and stuff like that because it'll end up going into the into the groundwater and then get in the rivers and the streams and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely no good. So, yeah, choose plants that have the lowest fertiliser use um, that you can find, yeah. Mm.
0: And that's very important when you're talking about sort of those ecological effects of fertilisers, especially when it comes to waterways and even leaching into the water table. And
1: I guess the same really goes for chemicals too, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. A lot of those can be quite nasty and build up in the environment or at least be slow to break down.
0: And they can cause damages that you may not necessarily initially have considered.
1: Mm, absolutely. Even things like wetting agents and stuff like that. You know, frogs have got a sensitive skin and I believe um, that it's not good, especially if there's like toxic things around it will help it get inside the frog mall and stuff like that. The wetting agent that is because it's a cervacan.
0: And what does that mean?
1: Uh, it breaks down waxes. So going back to fertilisers again, a lot
0: of people say, oh, don't fertilise your natives. Now, we're really talking about pro family members here. So that's your banksias, your grevilleas and plants like that.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about why we shouldn't be over fertilising our banksias and grevilleas? Yeah, well, banksias have got what's known as a cluster root system, which is um, an adaption to be able to mine phosphorus out of low phosphorus soils, which is what they've evolved with. So when you're putting in fertilisers with too much phosphorus over, say, 1%, yeah, they're very sensitive to that because they're already very good at getting what they need. So it just becomes toxic to them. So, yeah, but then there's natives like lily pillies and that, and you can you can treat them like an exotic. They just love all the, everything you throw at them just about. So, yeah, it, it varies a lot.
0: Hmm. I think a lot of people are going to be shocked to hear that because probably a lot of people have heard that advice of don't over-fertilise your natives or even just don't fertilise your natives. And they may not have considered that that's not necessarily all native plants.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, natives are a very broad term. And um, yeah, even amongst WA natives, they they differ a lot.
0: Totally. So let's go back to retic again, Ben. Can you tell us a little bit about what maintenance is required for your retic or irrigation system?
1: Um, Yeah, so nozzles can obviously block up. So that's got to be checked regularly. Sprinklers can be off target, so you've got to make sure it's that they are on target and covering the area you want. Seals can go in the sprinklers, so it can be wasting water and then the sprinkler's not getting the coverage you want. You can get cracked pipes. Yeah, solenoids obviously can not close properly, so you've got to find locate the, the solenoid that's faulty and fix that or clean it. Yeah, so they're sort of main issues that you deal with with retic. So really a lot of the
0: things that we've said today require a lot of, being
1: observant yeah absolutely yep and plants will let you know when they're not happy so yeah um but yeah you've got to keep an eye on the garden especially when it's hot things can change day to day really so Mm. if you're really serious about having a nice garden throughout the year you need to be out there and observing what's going on totally can you
0: tell us some of the main things that you look out for when you step onto a garden and think about how do i need to maintain this place
1: so yeah look at the garden the amount of what needs to be pruned? If plants look hungry, do they need to be fed? Is the soil likely to be hydrophobic? Is the retic? Probably the first thing I look at is, you know, are there a lot of like dry and dead plants? Because that'll tell you if the retic's not working well or the soil might be hydrophobic. Um, have the plants been pruned regularly enough the right way? Uh, things like that, yeah. It really varies.
0: I guess when it comes to maintenance, a lot of gardeners, especially in Australia, are unqualified. And we tend to just think it's a lot simpler than what it really is. And that's because it's an unregulated industry. So how important is it for professional gardeners to be educating themselves, whether that's formal or informal education?
1: Yeah. Um, if if you're getting paid to do it, then yeah, you want to make sure you're up on how to do things correctly and efficiently and, and doing the right thing at the right time is really important. Yeah, there's a lot of two-stroke cowboys out there, that's for sure. But <laughs> And, yeah, a lot of them are not really interested in learning any of the details. So
0: Yeah, you, you kind of have a bit of a responsibility, don't you, to your clients?
1: Yeah, just, it depends on what they're after. They might have a very basic garden. It just requires a bit of hedging and with the snipping and mowing and that's it. But a lot of people I work for passionate gardeners. So, yeah, we sort of work together on the garden. So, Mm. yeah, they really appreciate that extra knowledge and advice whereas Mm. some people just don't and they don't want to pay for it. So, Mm. it's whatever suits your budget and requirements. Ben, you've got a wonderful website and there's a whole...
0: (laughs) 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 Mate, you've got a wonderful website and it has a lot of info on there. I can't get enough of the content on there. What are some of your favourite maintenance resources for educating yourself for free?
1: Um, Yeah, um, there's quite a few Facebook pages. Things like WA Lawn Addicts is a good one for uh, learning about lawn maintenance. That is a very good one. You've got to really... um, There's a lot of amateur advice on there too, so you've got to be able to sift through that as well. But um, reading books is good. Yeah, um, just... Yeah, things like that. Just make sure it's a a resource that um, is credible and um, professional, yeah.
0: Yeah, just immerse yourself into it and it
1: does take time just like anything.
0: And if you're going to take the easy way of, you know, avoiding TAFE or university, you know, and just trying to do it off your own back, the risk is that you might be learning from the wrong people and it's sometimes hard to
1: tell when you're early in your career. Mm. Yeah, I think we take a lot of that for granted now. Um after doing it for so long. So mm. but yeah, just chip away at it, read the right books, check out the right Facebook groups, that sort of thing. The right web pages. Yeah, there's a lot there's no shortage of information out there. It's whether it's good quality information or not. Any other books or web pages that you can recommend? check out my blogs. <laughs> there's quite a lot of stuff on there. Um uh, the Water Corp Water Corporation NWA's got a really great website which focuses on uh water wise. Waterwise initiative, and um, they got like waterwise advice, waterwise plants, waterwise specialists, waterwise products, and things like that. That's a, a good start because there's a lot of clever and experienced people that have sort of brought that together. Facebook's got a page for lawn called the WA Lawn Addicts, so that's really, really good. And then just books and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's a heap of different books out there. Yeah, just browsing different credible resources, really. And I also love the uh, Plants Grow Here uh, blogs and um, the Arboriculture webinars are really good too in the UK.
0: Yeah, the Arboricultural Association has some great webinars. We've had John Parker on a few episodes ago and those are some really great resources. Some of them are free and some of them do cost money, but there will be links in the show notes for all of these resources and we do encourage our listeners to always be learning Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Ben. We love you here at the Plants Grow Here podcast, and we can't wait to see you again, mate. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. We don't have a Patreon or a way for you to make donations to us, but if you've received any value from our content and you'd like to support us, the best way to do so is to tell all of your friends and family about the Plants Grow Here podcast. We're still just getting started, but we're already 23 episodes in, and have covered a range of beginner and intermediate topics, so definitely make sure you've listened to all of the episodes, because there's bound to be a little nugget in each of them that you might find informative. As always, check the show notes for relevant links.